Well, good morning, Severn Run. How are you guys? And hello, all of you Severn Runners who are online. We are glad to have you with us today. And we're getting ready this morning to be able to kick off this brand new series called Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. How many of you, you already like it, huh? You're already there. You're, you're, you're ready to get this started. So um, before I get started, I, I do want to just take a moment. Number one, like what incredible worship this morning, don't you think? And I, I think that sometimes we just, you know, I, it, this has happened to me all morning long, but sometimes you just show up and, and, and you, you just eat, you don't realize what you have. You really, really don't realize what you have. And I've been walking around this morning, all morning long, around the church at Severn Run, just looking around, seeing all the amazing people that are involved in service, all the amazing people that are working to be able to make things happen. And one of those is our praise and worship team. And here's the thing about this, folks, is that they're not just, you know, they don't just get up here and wing it on Sunday morning. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, but man, they put in hours of practice and preparation and also that they can bring you hopefully closer to the presence of God and allow you to have his experience. So I'm going to ask our worship team just to come out here for just a second. Just say thank you to them, please. Some of them have already escaped, it looks like, right? They're already, they're like, I don't want to hear that message. They're out of here. Uh, here's the, uh, you know, here's the other thing too, folks. I also just want to say, you know, I want to say thank you to the team um, so that you know this. Um, you, you see it there sitting on your, uh, sitting there on your seats, but uh, this uh, book that's going to be coming out uh, on January the 20th, and I just want to say thank you to the team because here's the truth. I literally have asked nothing uh, of the team in terms of this, but uh, my pastor left some instructions with the team right before he left because he's gracious like that, and and it has just been absolutely amazing to just watch the team like jump in and and kind of make a big deal about this. And uh, I'm just uh, I'm humbled for that. I'm thankful for this for the staff and the wonderful people that I get to work with. In fact, here they're gonna love me for this. Now here's where I I'm about to have a bad week, folks. Are you ready? Uh, I want to ask our staff, wherever you are, stand up. Let's go. I see you. You're in the back. Let's go. Stand up. Even if you're behind the screen, I want you to stand up. Yeah, I see you. Do me a favor. Give our team a hand. And when you see folks serving, do me a favor. Walk up to them and thank them for it because it makes a big, huge difference in their life. So um, we are a blessed church, aren't we? Now, here's the other part of it is that, uh, you know, as, as many of you are already aware, I kind of have a, a, a big problem in my life, and I have to work on it every day in order to make sure that I don't ever go back, uh, but I'm an alcoholic, and one of the things that I have to do in order to be able to work on that is I have to go to these meetings, and I, I sit through these meetings, and one of the things that they'll teach you in these meetings is that the first step is to go ahead and admit that you have a problem. Just, just get up front with it. And so I was thinking about that. And I thought, man, we should just do that as a church. And man, we should, maybe we should just do that as a church on a Sunday morning. So here it goes. You're like, oh, no. Here, here, here's what we're going to do. How many of you, yeah, how many of you, you've got a comfort food? Huh? Go ahead. Steve, don't lie about it. You've got a comfort food. You've got that go-to thing that you like to stick in your mouth. When life's not going exactly like you would like it to go. So some of you, go ahead, start admitting your problem. Somebody tell me what their comfort food is. 
Ice cream. Oh, I love ice cream. I love, I love, what? Peanut butter crackers. Who would have ever thought? There's got to be something deeply, deeply psychological behind that. We'll unpack that later, okay? What, what else? Spaghetti. Okay, there we go. Pizza. How many of you, you, you like some pizza, huh? What else? Other comfort foods? What, potato chips? Potato salad. Okay, there you go. Tacos. Street tacos. You like street tacos? Man, I had some shrimp street tacos yesterday. Those things are a killer. How many of you, you're ready to leave now because you're ready for lunch? Uh, here's, here's the thing. We all, we, all, we all have something that we run to. We all have something that we start to reach for when our emotional life starts to kind of find itself getting out of shape. And because here's when it's all said and done. Here's what we all really, really want in life. We just want to feel good, don't we? I mean, sometimes we just get sick of feeling bad, and all we really want to do in life is we just want to feel good. It may have been the reason why you got up this morning and you got dressed, because when you come to this place, hopefully your experience is such that when you leave it, you feel just a little bit better than you did before you got here. We all, at our very core, just want to feel good. We just want to feel normal, and as a result, every single one of us, we reach outside for so many different things to try to help us feel good. We can reach outside to relationships. We can reach outside to food, as we've already said. We can reach outside to substance. We can reach outside to shopping. We can reach outside to so many different things in order just to try to make ourselves feel good. So the question becomes this, is it possible to really just go through this life feeling good, eating, drinking, and being merry? Or do we always have to have that emotional malaise, that, that cloud that seems to at times just follow us around and keep us from being able to enjoy the very best life that God has called us to enjoy. There's a story in John chapter six because I think that the reason why Jesus came to us was because in fact what he wanted us to do was to show us that we really could go through this life and we really could just eat, drink, and be merry. But he was gonna show us a little bit of a different way to try to accomplish that, not the way that we would typically try to accomplish it, which is to reach out and to try to grab more of something that we think is going to make us happy, but it only makes us happy for a temporary period of time. But rather, he wanted us to get to the heart of the matter. And so he had to come to planet Earth, and he had to embody a human body, and he had to show us himself how we can approach this thing called life and how we could eat, drink, and be merry. In John chapter 6, there's a story. In fact, there's so many stories of Jesus and food. I don't know if you've ever like noticed that before, but if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over again, there are all of these stories and they all involve Jesus with food. Because here's the thing, Jesus knew we like food. In fact, he created us to like food. And in fact, I'm pretty sure Jesus liked food. 
I don't think it's an accident that the first thing that he did in terms of miracles was to turn water into wine at a wedding. Because he truly does want us to be able to eat, drink, and be merry. And so there's so many stories that surround food. But in John chapter 6, here's this one particular story. And many of you, you've probably heard it before. But Jesus shows up at the side of the Sea of Galilee. And as he shows up at the side of the Sea of Galilee, he's been teaching and he's been healing and he's been making a difference in people's lives all day long. And most of all, he's been making sure that people know that they are loved by his heavenly father, that they are loved by God. And while he's doing all this, it's approaching toward the late in the evening and the crowds have gathered. They have come from all over. In fact, this story tells us that there's about 5,000, and for whatever reason, they just counted the guys back then. I don't know. But there was at least 5,000 men, not just counting the women and children that were gathered here at this particular spot. And as the evening was coming to a close, and it was getting ready to be about dinner time, Jesus turns around, and he looks at Philip, and he says, hey, Philip, what are we going to do for dinner? Philip's like, I, I don't know, I hadn't thought about it. No, I, uh, well, you know, me and the disciples, maybe we could run down and, and, and grab something. He's like, no, 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 I'm talking about for everybody. <laughs> Philip's looking at him like, what do you mean for everybody? No, I mean for everybody. I mean, what are we going to do for dinner for the crowd? And Philip's like, uh, Jesus, have you looked at the size of the crowd? Uh, excuse me, uh, Jesus, here, here's the whole deal. We, me and the disciples, we could go get jobs and we could work for like a month and we would not have enough food. Or we would not have enough money to be able to buy food for this entire crowd. So Jesus, we seem to have a resource problem. The, what's so funny about this portion of the story is the Bible actually says that Jesus was just pulling Philip's leg. Jesus just asked him the question to see, hey, listen, if Philip could maybe, I don't know, solve a problem or maybe trust that Jesus could handle this. Because the Bible says that Jesus asked Philip this question, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And by that time, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he like pops in there, you know, he's going to be Mr. Problem Solver. He's counted the entire crowd, and he says, Jesus, check this out. We got this little boy over here, and he has got, he has got uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Can you imagine the other disciples like, really, Andrew, that's what you came up with? We got like probably over 10,000 people in this crowd, and you came up with, you came up with, with five loaves of bread and two fish, are you kidding me? And Jesus said, great, that's exactly what I was looking for. And as the story goes along, this is one of those miracles that when I get to heaven, I can't wait to like sit down and just say, hey, can you just show me, can you put that on replay? Because I, I, you know, what were you doing, Jesus? Did you have your hands down in the basket so you couldn't, so people couldn't see how you were pulling this off or because this is a pretty crazy miracle. I mean, how in the world do you make five loaves into, into enough to be able to feed an entire crowd? But sure enough, they did it. And not only that, but there were 12 baskets left over. And I've told you guys this before. I think it's interesting that there's, there's 12 baskets left over. It doesn't tell us why, but the best that I can figure out is that there were 12 disciples, 12 doubters. And Jesus just wanted them to have to carry the extra baskets of bread. That's what I'm guessing. That's what I'm guessing. 
But this entire miracle goes down. This story goes down. And then Jesus, and then Jesus, after that, people start getting excited. They're like, man, this guy, this guy's a prophet. This guy is maybe the Messiah. This guy is like, this guy could be our king. What do you think? You want to make Jesus the king? Yeah, let's make Jesus the king. And so people started rushing to elevate Jesus to a status that Jesus wasn't wanting to be elevated to. He didn't need to be elevated to it. And so the scripture says that he slips off into the hillside. The disciples go down, they get in their boat that night, and they take off across the lake, which was, you know, the Sea of Galilee. It really is just a big lake. And as they are getting across, the, the waters get a little bit rough, and, and they start having to row just a little bit faster when all of a sudden Jesus shows up out of nowhere on the water. I mean, this is a heck of a day, wouldn't you say? Jesus shows up on the water. He says, everybody, chill out. It's all cool. He climbs up in the boat. And then here's the thing, and I've never heard anybody talk about this at all, but the craziest part about this story is that when Jesus gets in the boat, it says that suddenly they were on the other side. Like Jesus just took them through a time warp space continuum type thing. I don't know. But all of a sudden, Jesus climbs in the boat, and boom, they were where they're supposed to be. They got a good night's sleep, and that morning, that same crowd that Jesus had just fed that was on the other Sea of Galilee, they had showed up. They had shown up because they wanted breakfast. I mean, if somebody's passing out the free food, right? And I got to tell you, if Jesus cooked it up, it had to be pretty good. Am I right? And so they show up for the free food. But meanwhile, Jesus isn't there. The disciples aren't there. The crowd starts looking around. They start noticing that the boat that the disciples were in is gone. And so this entire crowd begins to make its way around the Sea of Galilee where they finally arrive the next day to where Jesus is. And they show up. And that is where the scripture that I want to read begins. In John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, it says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had gone with them. And several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. And they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied. I love it because Jesus hardly ever answers the question that somebody asks. Literally, if you go back through all of the New Testament, hardly ever does Jesus answer the question that somebody's asked. Don't those type of people drive you crazy? Like, just answer my question. But Jesus knew that the questions that people ask were oftentimes not the point. And Jesus wanted to get to the point. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Whoa. That's pretty harsh talk, isn't it? You just, want to, you just came over here this morning because you want more food. Not because you understood the miraculous sign. The point was not the food. The point was the sign and what it meant. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. 
Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? Then listen to what Jesus' answer is. This is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. Let's go back to that original question. Do we really want to live in such a way where we can just eat, drink, and be merry? Don't we just want to enjoy life? Don't we just want some of the emotional malaise to go away? Don't, wouldn't we just love to be able to live in a continuous state of love and joy and peace rather than fear and resentment and stress? Wouldn't that be wonderful? We're so hungry, aren't we? And Jesus' answer to this crowd, to this audience is, this is, the, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. So, what are some practical steps from this story that we can begin to take in order to try to eat, drink, and be merry to, to better our understanding and to better our belief in the one that he has sent? Well, I think the first thing is, and you guys are going to love this, and you probably won't come back after the next, for the next few weeks of this series. Just, uh, just giving you a warning. But I think the first thing is stop eating comfort food. Now, I may mean that literally. <laughs> for you, that may be literally, and, and, and for you, that may be figuratively. But if we're going to really seriously begin to, to live life in such a way as to where we we're, we're more content and we're more at peace and we feel better, then we've got to stop reaching for all the things that we think make us feel better. We've got to quit. We've got to quit going out there and, and trying to fix ourselves in other ways. And we have to spend more time in just believing in the one that, ha- he, that God has sent, Jesus Christ. A shinier object is not going to make you happy. But this is coming from a guy who's got way more shoes in his closet than he should. A shinier object is not going to make you happy. More comfort food is not going to solve the problem. More substance is not going to work. You're going to have to take the time to put away those things that you've been reaching for. It's not an easy process. In fact, it's a really hard one. It means you're going to have to get very honest about it, and you're going to have to be able to say, hey, listen, I have been reaching for it. I have been trying to, to, to find happiness through other things. I remember, I remember when I was early on in rehab, I was absolutely convinced that once I got in there, once I got a few days of sobriety under my belt, and once I had seen some counselors, that they were going to look at me, and they were going to say, John, uh, you're depressed. You've, you've, you've got clinical depression. I was absolutely sure that that was going to be the diagnosis that, that was going to come about. Two and a half weeks into my rehab stay, I, I finally looked at my counselor one day and I said, you know, in this entire time that we've been together and all of the stuff that we've talked about, you have never mentioned for one minute, for one minute that I, I'm depressed. And she said, you were. 
And I said, what do you mean I was? She said, well, she goes, John, alcohol is a depressant. And when you're drinking it, you're pouring depression down your throat. Oh. So that's the problem. I was, I was reaching for something. Trying to make something that was going on inside better. And there was no way it was ever going to work. And can I tell you something? There's no way that it's ever going to work in your life either. We've got to quit trying to reach for our comfort food. Whatever our comfort food may be. We've got to understand the deeper part of what's going on inside of us. The second thing that we've got to do is we've got to develop a real relationship with Jesus. Did you hear that? A real relationship with Jesus. I've had the opportunity now to, to be in the church and in ministry for 25 years, and I grew up as a pastor's kid. And the more and more that I'm able to look back, the more that I'm able to see, and this includes myself, that I'm able to look at people and I'm able to see the fruits of the spirit of their life that aren't present, and I'm able to, to identify the fact that I'm not sure that too many people that actually ever walk into a church setting have a real relationship with Jesus. I know this, I had a false relationship with Jesus for apps for years and years and years because my relationship with Jesus was a relationship that was based on, hey, listen, um, God, here's what I'm going to do for you, and then as a result, here's what you're going to do for me. God, if, if, if I will do this, if I will surrender my life, if I will go into ministry, then this means that you have to, God, you have to make sure that all of my physical needs are taken care of. God, if I am going to do this for you, then this is what you're going to do for me. And I have a counselor friend, and he says, and, and he talks about people who live this way. He says they're just transactional people. And the truth is I spent years just making a transaction with God. Having a transactional relationship is not a relationship. Expecting God to do something for you because you showed up this morning is not a real relationship. Relationship is the ability to be with somebody even when they don't do what you like, when they don't do what you appreciate, when, when it's not all roses. It's the ability to trust that individual no matter what. Not sitting back all of the time and expecting that, God, because I do this, you're going to do this for me, but rather having such a relationship to say, God, here's the whole deal. This situation doesn't look fantastic. My life doesn't look exactly like I would want it to, but I trust you, and you have got this, and so I'm good. I'm going to leave the outcomes to you. I'm going to let you be the one that decides this because I'm just going to have a relationship with you. A real relationship is not transactional. We've got to learn to just be with Jesus. Let that take us wherever we go. The third thing is that we don't want to, we don't need to waste our pain. I mean, you can see in this last, in these last few verses that this crowd they were interested in comfort food, weren't they? 
that this crowd didn't want a relationship with Jesus. They wanted the food that Jesus offered. And then we must not waste our pain. I was sitting, I was sitting in a, 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 a church a few months back as a church. I kind of consider it my, kind of my home church, first church I was ever on staff at. And, and I was sitting there worshiping. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'd gotten to that point in the service, probably like you are right now, where I wasn't really listening anymore. I was thinking more about lunch. Yeah, it happens to me too. Uh, I, was sitting, I was sitting out there and, and my thoughts were way off somewhere else and, and, and time was ticking and it was almost over. And I heard the speaker that day, his name was Charles Billingsley, and he made the statement all of a sudden out of the blue because I hadn't heard anything else he was saying for a little bit. He said, don't waste your cancer. I was like, what? <laughs> I was sitting there, you talk about like waking me back up and tuning me back in real quick, right? I was like, did he just say that? Well, did that just come out of his mouth in public? He actually said, like, don't waste your cancer. And then I started listening to what he had to say, and I thought, you know, he's got a point, doesn't he? Here's the deal. Life doesn't always go the way that we want it to go. In fact, it can go pretty rough. In fact, every single one of us in here, I can guarantee you, has got some stories about how life has not turned out exactly like you thought it was going to turn out. How it did not play out the way that you thought it was going to play out. How that job didn't work out. How that relationship failed. You've got these stories, don't you? Some of them, some of them are, they feel horrific, some of them have caused incredible trauma inside of your life. And it's real easy to, at that point, go ahead and give up on God because you've just had a transactional relationship with him. But you know what? If you're in a real relationship with him, then you trust what he tells us, which is that all things work together for the good. It's not a statement of all things are good. Did you hear that? It's not that all things are good. But it is that all things work together for the good. It means that bad stuff's going to come along in life. It just is. Would we stop being surprised by that? Can we? Can we just stop being shocked when something doesn't go exactly like we thought it was going to go? Welcome to life. But we can live with the trust that all things work together for the good and if God has placed you, if God has allowed something into your life, then it's there for a purpose. And it can be used for amazing things. I've recently read one book, and in the middle of the other book, one's called, one of the books is called um, Enjoy Every Sandwich, and the second book is called the Last, the Last Lecture. And both of these books are written by men who were dying while they were writing the book. And what was absolutely crazy about it is who would decide while you're dying to write a book? But they do. They decide that even though they've got these terrible diseases that are going to take their life, that they're going to use these moments, they're going to use these final days, not to just complete a bucket list, but rather to use the pain that they're experiencing in order to help other people who eventually are going to get that same terrible disease get through it themselves. These are people that have written these books because guess what? They don't want anybody else to suffer in that way. They want to help somebody else through the issue. They are not wasting their pain. 
Whatever that story is, whatever that thing is that hurts in your life, don't waste it. That suffering can be used to change the world. I had one of the saddest phone calls just a few weeks ago in which I was on the phone with a mom who unfortunately lost her son senselessly to an opioid addiction. And it's one of those terrible stories because this young man was an amazing young man. He worked hard to get better. He worked hard to, to, to overcome this terrible disease that he had in his life. But ultimately, ultimately, it, it, it took his life. And in many ways, he was an innocent victim in a lot of ways because it all began when he was prescribed opioids by his doctor. As I was talking with his mom, it was one of those times when here I was like trying to, in some way, shape, or form, bring comfort to the situation. But the truth is I couldn't. I was just crying. I could not stop crying. And at the very end of our conversation, she said, John, she said, I want to spend the rest of my life helping moms who feel like I do. And I was like, wow. That was a lady who said, I'm not going to waste my pain. God has allowed it, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it to allow God to do work in other people's lives. If we'll stop reaching for all of the things that make us comfortable, and we'll start being willing to march into the uncomfortable positions in our lives, church, if, if we'll start, stop thinking that somehow all we have to do is just be able to, you know, reach out and grab that new shiny thing or grab that comfort food or grab whatever else it may be, and we'll walk away from those types of things and we'll decide that it's time to just have an authentic relationship with Jesus, come, what, come what's good, come what's bad, and then when stuff comes that is bad, if we will decide to go ahead at that point, and use the pain that he's put into our lives, we'll be able to live every day eating, drinking, and being merry. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and the staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. But my cup still runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Our staff will be down here maybe if there's somebody that needs to pray with somebody, if there's somebody that you need to talk to. Maybe you're sitting out here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't have an authentic relationship with Jesus. I've never entered into that. One of our team would, be, would love to be able to spend the time to speak with you, to show you how you can enter into an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. You may need to just come and pray with somebody because of pain 
because of hurt, because of something that you're facing. And while it's difficult to go through right now, you may need to make that decision today that says, you know what, no matter what, I am not going to, I'm not gonna waste this pain. I'm gonna be okay with learning how to be comfortable in what's uncomfortable. And no matter what my situation is, I'm not just gonna come to Jesus because I want food, I'm gonna come to Jesus because I want him. And as a result, he's going to invite me to the banquet table where my cup will overflow. I'm gonna ask if you would please to stand with me for just a moment this morning. And whatever it is, however the Spirit has spoken to you today, would you make a decision to take an action that will lead you closer to a deeper relationship with Jesus, that will lead you closer to his banquet table?